This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is your typical radio ad while eating a Crunch Bar. This is Automatic of Auto's Used Cars. This weekend only, we're having a whale. Bring the kids. See for yourself. It is huge. Gonna make a big splash. No other dealer can say they have a whale like this. When things sound dull, turn up the fun with Crunch. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Hello, I'm Kellyanne Taylor from Radio Times, and this is View From My Sofa, the podcast where every week I sit down with the stars of TV to talk about all things telly. What do they watch? Where do they watch? And who do they watch with? Expect fascinating insights into my celebrity guests' TV habits. What shows do they binge? What do they snack on? What do they loathe? And who really controls the remote on their sofa? Today, my first guest is the one and only James May. Once the Captain Slow of BBC's Top Gear, James and his two amigos, Jeremy Clarkson and Richard Hammond, now famously travel the globe for Amazon Prime's The Grand Tour. In this episode, James tells me about the TV he watched as a child, the shows that made him the man he is today, and he reveals why he uses the pause button on his remote to allow him to go to the pub. Plus, he gives us the real story of life on the road with Hammond and Clarkson. And he reveals how his uncharacteristically reckless driving in the current series of A Grand Tour landed him in a Scandinavian A&E department. Hello, James May. Welcome to View From My Sofa, um, where we're going to talk about television. Wow. Go on then. So start me off with what is the view from your sofa at home? Um, Apart from the TV itself? Yes. Talk me through the setup. Oh, okay. So, um, well, we have a new house. We we, We built a new house that was only finished a year or so ago. It's quite austere. So directly in front of you is actually a white wall, uh, floor to ceiling 
cupboard type arrangement, the bottom part of which opens up and has a telly in it. That all sounds quite 1970s, the way I've put it. It's not really 70s. But anyway, the television is hidden out of sight because having it on display is probably vulgar or something. Um, behind me is a plain wall with some uh, pictures hanging on it. There's the sofa itself, which is L-shaped. There's a standard lamp, a small table. Um, to the right, I can see another wall with some more pictures on and then the glass doors leading out to our backyard. And to the left are the front windows of the house and a long window seat with some brightly coloured cushions on it. Well, what colour is your sofa? Well, the sofa itself is a sort of bluey-grey colour. The cushions that are on it are bright green and bright orange. We quite like colourful Lego-y type things in our house, so there's a lot of that going on. We also have an orange sofa elsewhere, but that sofa isn't by a telly. We've only got one telly. Wow, one TV. Well, I mean, not including things like computers and iPads, which are effectively tellies, obviously, but the actual television with a television maker's name on it, on a, on little feet that looks like a television, we've only got one. And it's quite small. Unexpected. Why is that unexpected? Because you're a man on the telly. Do you not watch yourself? Well, I don't want me to be big. I mean, I don't like <laughs> watching myself on the television anyway. I don't want I don't want to be watching myself massively on the television. It's better to have a a small television. Um, so you live in West London with your long-term partner, Sarah, who's an art critic. And I wondered, who controls the remote in your house? That's a very interesting question because there are effectively two remotes, one for the actual TV set, as it would have been called in the olden days, and the other one controls the input boxes, you know, Apple TV and so on. Um, I tend to be in control of settings i.e the tv and sarah tends to be in control of content and what was what would be her program of choice at the moment if i left her alone she'd be watching oh i think she'd dig out some old stuff about ballet or something like that i think or succession we've both been watching succession but we have a rule you're not allowed to watch an episode that the other one hasn't seen. We have to watch new episodes together. You can go back and watch the old ones by yourself, but not a new one. That's cheating. So I wonder, when you guys both got together, um, were there any shows that brought you together? Um, or throughout the years, there have been programmes that maybe remind you of a certain period? Um, yes, I'm sure there are. Uh, and it'll be, well, Top Gear and the Grand Tour, I suppose. Um although we don't tend to sit and watch them because, as I was saying earlier, I don't really like watching myself on TV. It's a bit like listening to your own voice on voicemail. It always comes as a bit of a shock. You think, is that me? And it's the same if you watch yourself on the telly. Um, but there were, I mean, there have been a few things that we've, I suppose, that we've thought were either brilliant or so horrible we had to watch them. I'll mention Netflix, even though they're rivals. We did watch The Crown quite avidly because it is quite interesting and it's nicely done, but it's, it also allows us to, to cringe a bit. Yeah. Not, not the quality of the programme making. I mean, the subject matter is it's quite, it's quite cringy and at times a bit distasteful. <laughs> and obviously sparked all of that conversation about people believing that it was, you know, very authentically true. Uh, yeah, I, I'm inclined not to believe that about most things, if I'm honest. But I think 
the, the weird thing about the crown is you, you sort of know what's going to happen if you have a vague grasp of british history you sort of know what happened with the coronation and you know that lady diana spencer dies in a car crash and and all these sort of things but it's it's still quite nice to be reminded of it and it has been turned into a drama so i'm not I don't know either way, but I suspect they weren't that beholden to absolute truth because it's not a documentary. It's it's not a it's not a matter of record. It's a piece of entertainment. Is there anything that you loathe on the box that as soon as it comes on you think, right, turn that off? Yes. Um, so I'm, we're not habitual TV watchers. We tend to sit down and make a point of watching something on the on the TV. We're not the sort of people who has it on, who have it on in the background, but it can't be because it's in a cupboard, as I said. So it can't really be on in the background. But any, I find anything that's a bit, anything that's condescending and talks down to me and treats me like a bit of an idiot, which I find a lot of, quite a lot of news programming does. I don't like programs about business. I'm afraid I, I really struggle with things like The Apprentice and Dragon's Den, because. I, I can see why Dragon's Den works as a piece of TV, but it seems to me to it promotes a slightly slightly dangerous culture that makes me uneasy. The, the the innovators and the inventors and the people who've come up with new ideas are supposed to cower before these terrifying people because they've got the money and they make business work. But it's symptomatic of a slight problem that we have, which is that we think business is a business in itself. And I don't think it is. I believe business is just the administration of ideas and it's ideas that matter. Yeah. I know that you have an interest in inventing and you're very engineer-minded. So is there anything that you watch on TV that you feel particularly speaks to that certain line of interest? Yes, but I think, to be really honest, it, and I do watch a lot of this, it's YouTube. I, I find myself, I'm a bit of an insomniac. I spend a great deal of time in the middle of the night watching YouTube videos about um, woodwork and people making things on lathes or people making elaborate architectural models um, or, or even airfix models and things like that. I watch quite a lot of that. But to be honest, in the middle of the night, I also watch a lot of animal rescue um aviation history bicycle maintenance I, I i i love all that nerdy stuff and it's mainly on youtube if you ever feel very sad um late at night i can recommend looking up weird animal friendships and that's always very heartwarming oh i haven't seen that one and i have seen a lot of animal stuff weird animal friendships yes and then you see you know bizarre combinations of animals that have befriended each other what, like a cat and a gerbil or something like that? Even weirder. Even weirder. Now, obviously, all examples have fled from my brain. Um, but very, very heartwarming, should you need it. An animal, like an, an elephant and a parrot. Yeah, something very adorable and cute and often tiny and large. Weird animal friendships. Okay, I'll definitely look at that because I like anything Anything with animals in is is great. Let's talk about growing up and tv in that era did i do that did you do that that's what we'll come up to um you were born in bristol one of four children grew up in newport and then spent your teenage years in rotherham and i wondered what is your first tv memory 
Um, I know this. It was the wooden tops, which really ages me. Do you know what the wooden tops are? Unfortunately not. Care to explain? The wooden tops were, now my memory of it is clear, but at the same time a bit dim. So it was black and white. It was on the BBC because that was pretty much all the telly that existed. And they were dolls. You know those jointed mannequins that artists use to to do life drawing and figure drawing? They were sort of a bit like those, but they had some clothes on. I think some of them might have had hats, and they were sort of very, very crude. Old set. I'm talking about 1966, probably. But that is the first thing, I can, and I can remember. I, I remember being distressed by it because I thought the wooden tops were stuck inside the TV, and the TV back then would have been quite a small, you know, like a wooden box with a small screen in the middle. Um, quite a foreboding piece of furniture rather than a piece of technology. And I believe, like I'm sure a lot of children do, the wooden tops were stuck in the television and they were trying to get out and I wanted to break the screen. And My mother had to say, no, they're not, they're not really in there. It's a moving picture. That sounds very traumatic. So, well, I think a lot of things like that are traumatic when you're a kid. Things like clowns, large machinery, the things stuck in television. I used to think that I used to think that voices that went down the telephone had all collected in the telephone as well. And all these voices were stuck inside the body of the thing forever. Because where else could they have gone? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. There's <laughs> quite developed thoughts, really. Maybe I was three. I'm not sure, but I was I was pretty small. What was kind of the sofa setup like when you were growing up? You know, did you have a TV for your whole life? Was watching TV a kind of family affair? And what was your life like growing up as a young child? Well, we I think we must have always had a TV of some sort. I remember very distinctly getting our first colour TV, which was in about 1973, I think. And it was so exciting that some of our neighbours came round to see it when it was delivered and, and plugged in. People came round and went, wow, look at the picture. And actually the picture was probably terrible. If you look at some of those old TV shows now that were recorded, a lot of stuff wasn't, obviously. But you look at it and you think, oh, it's all grainy. It almost looks pixelated by modern standards, because we're used to 4K and HD and all the rest of it. But I remember that. I think we always had a telly, and there were... I did used to watch The Wooden Tops and Pogel's Wood. Watch with, I think they were all part of Watch With Mother, it was called in those days, which was like children's television in the afternoon or early evening. Except I didn't watch it with my mother, because she was busy looking after my little brother or something, so I used to sit there by myself, or maybe with my big sister, and watch The Wooden Tops and Pogel's Wood 
Tales from the Riverbank, that sort of thing. But then a bit later on, there would have been things we watched together as a family, like, you know, all the usual stuff, like Morecambe and Wise. Um, what else did we watch? I used to watch some slightly nerdy things for a young person, like the Oscar Peterson Piano Party, because I played the piano and there was a show on every week where Oscar Peterson, the jazz pianist, had special guests who came on and played the piano with him. And it was brilliant. I loved it. So we used to watch that together. We used to watch, I think we did used to watch It Ain't Half Hot Mum, but you probably can't admit to that anymore. The two Ronnies. There were rules about what we were allowed to watch at home. What were they? Well, we were only, to be honest, we were only really allowed to watch the BBC because I think like a lot of families back then, ITV was regarded by my parents as a little bit subversive and dangerous because it was commercial, it had adverts on it, and it had Benny Hill, which my mother didn't approve of. I make it sound like we were a terribly proper family. We weren't. We weren't posh in any way, but but we had standards. <laughs> Too right. If you could reflect back on your teenage years, what what were you like as a teenager? Horrible, probably. In what ways? Well, uh, lazy, recalcitrant, slightly, slightly anarchic, but not in a you know not in a threatening way. I wasn't a troublemaker as such, but I, I, neither was I very obedient. I wasn't interested, to be honest, because I was a daydreamer and a, probably a fantasist, and I think I was probably a pretty late developer. I found a lot of stuff. A few weeks ago, emptying some some of those boxes that follow you around house moves for many years. You know the sort of thing I mean. There are some that simply are never unpacked. But I finally did unpack some because we moved house again. And I found a great big box within the box of stuff that I'd written as a child. You know, those stories you're given to write at school and you're supposed to put drawings on them. And, and I, I looked through them all and I read them and there were some paintings I'd done. And it was absolutely fascinating to see the me age between five and about 12 um, and see how terrible my handwriting was. And then I put them all in the fire. Okay, so you don't hold on to kind of memorabilia of life? No, I say that, that once I got the fire going, this is like a wood-burning stove fire, um, I was feeding in all my stories about frogmen and spitfire pilots and and magic bicycles and and I got to there was a, a painting I did I never really did art very much as a kid there was a painting I'd done I think we'd been given an exercise on on basic perspective and I'd drawn this I think I'd drawn effectively the the little village church down the road from where we lived and it was in a sort of two-point perspective and we must have had a lesson on it and I'd done it quite meticulously and tried to paint all the tiles on the roof and it didn't look too bad and I put that to one side I thought well I will keep that because I'm interested in art and I've got quite a bit in the house. And I thought, and I'll frame that and I'll have my own painting on the wall. But then at the last minute, I put it in the fire. Terrible. You probably could have made quite a lot of money from that. Not really, I don't think. I mean, it wasn't very good. And I think the, the embarrassment and the shame would outweigh the profit. It's better that it's gone. I can remember it as it was. Uh, so you studied music at Lancaster University, worked in journalism as a sub-editor, and then as a columnist writing about cars. Um, and you were, I hear, dismissed from one role in journalism for a prank. And I wondered if you could perhaps elaborate on that. 
yes, most most of the jobs I ever did, I was fired from, and I didn't go straight into journalism. I was also fired from the motor trade, the civil service, the NHS, and various other things. Uh, but the prank I played was while I was still a sub editor working on Autocar magazine. Uh, it was an acrostic. We, we published a road test yearbook. It was a sort of like a Christmas annual, a precy of all the road tests we'd done in the year. Four to a spread, and each began with a big red drop capital letter because that was all very trendy back in the early nineties. And it was my job to put this put the thing together. I was the production editor, so I rewrote all the first paragraphs so the big block capitals spelt out a message saying I was bored by it and it was a pain in the ass, which I thought was dead clever. But they just fired me for it, so that'll learn me. <laughs> and you kind of semi broke into TV, and I say semi broke into because. Um, I heard that you landed your first gig on a TV show, but were let go because the panel was three men. Uh, yes, I've never quite got to the bottom of that. So I did, apart from appearing once or twice on things like Pebble Mill at One because they needed someone to comment on cars, I was on the first series of Driven, which was a new show and intended, this was on Channel 4, it was intended as a rival to Top Gear. And I think we came up with a few quite pioneer pioneering ideas that were ultimately absorbed into the new format top gear but after one series which had been you know reasonably successful for a new show i think they decided that the mix was wrong because it should have a woman on it and they couldn't let mike brewer go because he had another show with them and they couldn't really let jason barlow go because he was being groomed for greater things so basically i was fired from that but then I was actually picked up by the old Top Gear that used to come out of Birmingham and Pebble Mill. So they gave me a series on that. But at the end of that series, I was fired. I've been fired from, I'm, I'm always waiting actually to be thrown out of whatever, whatever job I think I've got. Did telly ever seem a plausible industry for you? I know that you said, you've said before you didn't have, you know, a, a passion necessarily for that to be your career. No, it, it was, I didn't really have any ambitions because I, didn't I mean I spent many years not knowing what I wanted to do or what I was supposed to do and I would have thought that being on TV was was one of those things that I wasn't allowed to do you know that wasn't possible um, I fell into journalism by mistake I tried a lot of other things and I think this is true of a lot of people who work in magazines and newspapers is they they discover that that's what they should have been doing all along but I didn't know I could write articles or put magazines together or, or sub-edit them or any of those things. I discovered it by accident and then happenstance took over and this is, this is what happened. But no, it wasn't an ambition. And I think actually to be, even now when TV is so broad and it's so much more accessible, it is still a slightly foolish ambition to want to be a TV presenter. You should want to... It's, you know, want to be a journalist, want to write about something, want to become very, very involved and engaged with your subject, whatever it is, and then that might translate to doing it on TV. But I, I don't think the job of being a TV presenter really exists in the in the sort of field I'm in. It does if you're doing the weather or you're a newsreader or something like that, but then even newsreaders are supposed to be proper journalists with a nose for news. You, TV presenter isn't actually a job in itself, I don't think. The job is being a car journalist or a theatre reviewer or an art critic or a news hand or, you know, the things you do. That, that's the job. 
Do you um, remember seeing yourself on TV for the first time? And if so, what was that like? Horrific. It's horrific. And it's still horrific. I really don't, I don't like it. I was, I was at something a, a while back with um, some old mates from, from many, many years ago, sort of student years, but who I'm still in touch with. And uh, we were together one evening and it was, it, it was, the weather was a bit bad and that sort of thing. So we had to stay in. And one of them, she said, she said, well, I don't know, why don't we sit down and watch your cooking show? And I said, well, I can't, I can't watch, I can't watch myself on TV with you, my old mates. That would be so excruciatingly embarrassing. I, could, I just couldn't, I honestly couldn't conceive of doing that. I mean, what if they hated it? What if they just sat there in stony silence, obviously thinking this is crap? I wonder, do you watch um, Jeremy Clarkson's farm programme? And did you ever think that Clarkson could take on something as hands-on and practical as farming? Uh, no, I didn't think that. Actually, I have I have watched quite a bit of it, yes. And I don't know how much of it, I, I don't know how much of the practical stuff he's really doing. It's still not clear, but he's obviously having a go, which is odd because I do find him infuriatingly inept at times to the extent that I think he might be putting it on. You know, he might think it's a bit cute or it makes him seem a little bit more sophisticated. But, you know, sometimes his inability to operate the mechanism that opens a sliding door makes me just think rations are wasted on this man. I should probably just quietly put him (laughs) down and do the world a favour. How would you describe your two colleagues from the Grand Tour if you could have one adjective for each? Um, one adjective for each that is usable on what I presume you would regard as a family podcast. Mm, Jeremy Clarkson would be unsavoury, and I think Richard Hammond would be, well, it's not one word, but a slight irritant. I'm not saying I dislike them. I, I, like, I like Richard Hammond, but he's irritating. That's just, <laughs> he is irritating. He would acknowledge it as well, and he thinks I'm irritating, and I'm sure I am. In this episode of The Grand Tour, we kind of see you racing across the wilderness, and in it you have quite a serious accident. And I wondered twofold, what's been your closest experience to death while filming? And are you more foolhardy when a camera is on you? You don't strike me as perhaps the biggest daredevil off screen. No, I'm not a... I'm not a daredevil at all. I'm quite a I'm quite a cautious person, especially as I get older. Um, I mean, the crash wasn't really that serious. It looks very dramatic, but I wasn't badly hurt. It does look very sore. It is sore, yeah. But well, it's a broken rib. They are sore, but there's nothing you can do about it, and it just gradually gets better. It's just I've done it before. It's lots of people have done it, falling off bikes and playing football and skiing. You know, all those stupid things that people do. But I I, I don't think I. I'm more or less daredevilly because the cameras are running. I wouldn't call myself a daredevil. I never did that sort of thing when I was young. I didn't do I didn't do sport. wasn't really very good at that or very interested in it. I didn't do mountaineering or or uh, skydiving. I liked things like you know making things, riding bicycles. So um, I don't I don't know what made me drive ludicrously down that tunnel and hit the wall at the other end i'm slightly baffled by it if i'm honest it's very out of character and to be brutally honest richard hammond's job 
because A, you expect it of him, and B, he's actually made out of an industrial rubber and only has three moving parts, so he's much much more difficult to damage. I want to now just move on to quick-fire questions. So I'm going to give you sets of twos or a very quick question, and the first thing that comes to mind should be your answer. Here goes. Subtitles or no subtitles? Subtitles, if it's foreign language. And if it's not foreign language, you know, some of us um, have subtitles so that we can eat our snacks and still follow what's going on. Hang on, can you not hear if you're eating? Occasionally. Oh. A crisp crisp. Okay, I would say no subtitles. If I'm watching something like Cinema Paradiso, which has the subtitles on it, I don't really notice that they're there. When I think back on that film, I don't, I don't recall it. I don't recall having to read while I'm watching it. So I'd say on the whole, I don't notice. Are you a streaming or terrestrial lover? Um, well, I'd say, weirdly, I discovered we built a new house and I only discovered after a year that the aerial wasn't connected. They, they'd forgotten to link it up up on the roof bit. And it hadn't made any difference because I watch streaming TV and even the terrestrial TV, I'm either watching on catch-up or if it's something live like um, the women's football final, which I watched the other weekend, which was very, very exciting. But I was even watching that via iPlayer, via my Apple TV box. So I'm actually I'm watching everything one way or another over the internet. So I suppose I'm a streamer. Uh, running commentary or silent watching? Oh, God, silent watching. A commentary. Uh, Jeremy Clarkson, I'm afraid, is a commentator on a few occasions when we've been on tour and we've watched a film in our green room, something like that. He will say, oh, this next bit's brilliant. Watch this bit. And I think I am bloody watching it. It's a film. And my other half, Sarah, does occasionally start to analyse what's happening. And, and I just think, can we save that to the end? I want to listen to the dialogue. That is a good reason for having the subtitles on, to be honest, to shut out other people's commentary and allow you to still follow the action. I can't pick people commentating on films. You wouldn't do it in the cinema. You wouldn't commentate on a play if you were in the theatre. So please be quiet. Um, I'm in a strong agreement with you there. Uh, snack or drink of choice? Snack and drink of choice while you're watching the telly. Ooh, TV snack of choice. I think it's cheese and biscuit. Yeah, cheese and biscuits is the one we, we reach for most often, I think. Um, cheese and crackers, cheese and biscuits. And the drink is, I'm assuming we're watching the telly in the evening, which is when we usually are. It's usually, it's usually a glass of white wine or maybe a big glass of beer. I sometimes run round to the pub. My local pub in London is only 100 paces away. I'll run round to the pub and get a couple of drinks partly to support my local pub because I'm in the pub business myself, uh, but also because it's convenient. Bring bring the beer and the wine back to the house and sit down and watch the telly. Then we have to pause the whatever it is we're watching to run back to the pub and get more beer and take all the empties back. James, I'm now going to play you a theme tune and I would like to see if you can get it. Hopefully this will work with the audio. That's Johnny Dankworth and his orchestra playing the Tomorrow's World theme. Congratulations. Do I win a prize? Perhaps. Number two. Oh, another one. Right. (laughs) 
Oh, no, I know, I know, I know. It's very twee, which is a giveaway. That's the Antiques Roadshow. It is. And let's see if you can get this third and final one. This is a little bit more difficult. Okay. And if you do get it, I will be very intrigued. Any ideas? It sounds familiar, but I don't know what it is. It's Love Island. I've never seen Love Island. Well, and also you said you don't have TV on in the background, but perhaps you're missing out. It's funny that I thought one of the, I was slightly warned of the sort of questions you ask on this, but I thought one of the questions you were going to ask was, what was your favourite childhood TV thing? I was, well, I was going to ask, but if you'd like to answer. Well, it's interesting. I, it's, it's a toss-up between Vision On. I used to love Vision On when I was a kid, and after that, Take Heart, because I liked those sort of art programs. Um, and Vision On had fantastic music with that. I think mainly because it was a program for deaf kids. So for the rest of us, they put music on thinking, well, kids who aren't deaf will still watch it if we put some funky tunes in. And it had fantastic music in it. But the other one was the Tomorrow's World thing. I absolutely loved that as a kid. And I, I bounced up and down on our old Chesterfield sofa and probably wet myself when it meant... You got that very instantly. Oh, yeah. I mean, I would have probably got that after two notes. Maybe that's what we should play next. What, guess the childhood TV theme? Yeah, guess how quickly you can get it. A bit like Name That Tune. Yes. If you remember that. Does anybody know the theme tune to Name That Tune? I don't. I don't. Maybe it didn't have one. Maybe we'll find out next time you're on here. Might surprise you. So do your prep. Yeah, I will do my prep on old TV themes. I can remember quite a few from the 70s and maybe 80s. More recently, mm, not so good. Well, you didn't get Love Island, but you did get the other two. So that's a two out of three and not a bad job. That's 66%. That's a B plus, isn't it? And fast maths. I'll give you an extra three points for that. Thank you. <laughs> that's absolutely okay. Anyway, James, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you for coming on. No, thank you very much for having me. It's been delightful. Thanks for listening to View From My Sofa. If you want to hear more from Radio Times, don't miss our Smart TV podcast in which we tell you what shows to watch this week and one to avoid. And if you want to read more interviews with the stars of the small screen, don't forget to pick up your copy of Radio Times out every Tuesday. That's all. Thanks for listening. <laughs>